We're in uh, Luke chapter number 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. And we're talking today about power in presence. And um, I promise today I'm going to give you both barrels. If you were not here last week, that makes no sense at all. But uh, last week uh, was an abbreviated service because I'm stuck 1030, 1130, 1030, 1130. 9 to 10 is like, what? And when I saw that clock back there and it said 25, I didn't realize it said 925. I'm used to seeing 25 means I got five more minutes. So y'all got the short version. You're getting a double portion today. We're going to go all the way. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Thank you. All right, Luke chapter number 7. Let's read verses 1 through 10. When Jesus had finished saying this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum, and there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders uh, elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to Jesus, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. And I say to this servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turned to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Let's take a moment and pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word that is powerful, it is perfect. And now, Father, we just ask that your word makes impact into our lives Lord, we would glean from this the revelation that you want to give us today, in this moment, in this time, in Jesus' name, amen. There are a couple times in the scriptures where the Bible says that Jesus was amazed. One is in Mark chapter 6, where Jesus was amazed at a lack of faith. He was amazed that even when he went to the region which he was from, had been raised in, that the Bible says he could not do very many miracles because of their unbelief. He was amazed at that. But here's another point where Jesus was amazed at great faith. And so if we're looking at the situation of Jesus being amazed at something, I think that's something we should really pay attention to. And he was amazed at the great faith that this person exercised, this Roman Gentile centurion army soldier, And he said, I haven't even found such great faith like that among the Jewish people. So here is somebody who's on the outside of Israel showing such great and amazing faith. We talk about faith, what are we really talking about? 
Faith equals an active trust, an activity that represents trust, an activity that says, it's not that I'm trying to show everyone, but if people are looking, they can see that what I'm doing is based on my trust in God. There was a, years ago, there was a Charles, man named Charles Brondon, who is a French tightrope walker, maybe the best, but he's, he transversed uh, Niagara Falls many times and would do so uh, with, with objects in his hand. He once took a table out there and sat down and like had tea or something. He took a wheelbarrow across uh, the tightrope full of bricks. He, he, just, he just was really, really good. And um, so one day when he, was, he had gone across and he had this wheelbarrow full of bricks, there were reporters out there and they were like, uh, you know, say, wow, you're amazing. They try and get a quote from him and put it in the newspapers. And so one of the, one of the newspaper reporters said, man, you, you are the best. And he said, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, did, you, did you see me take the wheelbarrow load full of bricks? He said, yeah. He said, I, he said, I think you could take anything across a tightrope and it would, you'd, you'd be successful. He said, do you think I could take a person across in the wheelbarrow? He goes, oh, yeah, you're the best. You could do that. He said, okay, get in, <laughs> which ended the conversation. See, it's different when we say, oh, you're the best. You can do anything. But then when Jesus says, okay, get in, we go, wait, uh, instead, God wants us to have that childlike faith to say, okay, kind of like Peter walking on the water. Peter made the request, hey, it, if that's you, Tell me to come to you. Jesus said, come. And there goes Peter, bam, out of the boat and walking on water. That's faith. That's great faith. And it's active faith. I would say if we were to take a poll here today, I would say the vast majority of us would say there have been times when I didn't have active trust in God. I kind of balked a little bit. I kind of pulled back. But I would also say there are uh, in all of our lives, the time when we'd say, yeah, I, I took that leap of faith. I took that active trust in God because I believe he was going to do something. And wow, what an amazing testimony that is. And so that's what we're talking about today is that active trust, having power in God's presence, having the authority that God wants us to walk in because we have an active faith. Well, let's get back to Luke 7, this centurion that we're really focused on here, um, he is a centurion, he's a Gentile, he's a Roman, he's an officer in the Roman army, and he has 100 men under him, thus centurion. He has 100 men that he's in charge of. And so he's not a novice, he's not a first-year recruit to the army, but Rome was the agency, the country that had conquered, if you will, Israel, that whole geographical region, and they were overseeing everything that happened in that region, including the Jewish people. And of course, the Jewish people had to pay taxes to, to Caesar, to Rome, and they weren't too happy about that. And so Rome is the policing agency, if you will, and collecting taxes uh, for that trouble. So there was animosity, there was, there was problem between Israel and the, Jewish, uh, and the Roman people because Israel wanted to be free, don't rule us, and Rome said, nah, we think we're going to stay. And here's this guy in the army enforcing the tax collection, enforcing civil rest, and there's animosity. 
But this guy exercises great faith in Jesus. He goes beyond what is expected, and he says, I'm going to put great trust in God. He sends uh, some Jewish leaders to Jesus. He says, you know, basically, hey, go tell Jesus that uh, I'd like for him to to, uh, heal my servant. So the Jewish leaders go to Jesus. And it's interesting what they say. Now, remember, there's animosity between the Romans and the army and the Jewish people. But they go to Jesus and they say, this guy is deserving of whatever you have to do to heal his servant. This guy deserves it. He's, he loves our nation. It's interesting that he didn't say he loves our God. But he says he loves our nation and he has built the synagogue for us. And archaeologists have found that uh, there was only one synagogue in uh, Capernaum. And so here we find they're saying, hey, this guy deserves it. This guy is a good guy. He's done some good things for us and he deserves whatever it takes for you to do this thing for him. I just have a question. When has Jesus ever responded positively to someone who says, I deserve? He deserves. He's a great guy. You should do this for him. She's amazing. Well, you, you should really help her out. When has Jesus ever responded well to those words? That's the, that's, that's the opposite of the whole safe by grace, right? You ever heard the, the comments? Somebody says, well, you know what? You know, this person, I mean, there's no way God God would allow that person to go to hell because they're such a good person. Isn't that kind of salvation by moralism? Salvation by being morally good? The problem is we, we compare our goodness with other people's goodness, and nine times out of ten we compare our goodness with people that we know aren't quite as good in our sight. Or am I just the only one that does that? Yeah, because we... We want to look good. Jesus doesn't respond well when somebody says, hey, I deserve or he deserves. But yet, look at verse number six. What does it say? And Jesus went with them. And at that, I was just, it's like, you know, it's kind of like, okay, what's happening here? There's something going on behind the scenes that we don't get at just a quick glance. There's something happening here They were like, this doesn't match. This doesn't line up. There's animosity, Gentile, Jews, money, power. He deserves, and Jesus says, let's go. Ah. What is this great faith? What is this active trust that Jesus is so impressed with? Jesus is going along with this. Because I believe he's slowly dismantling the belief that acceptance from God is based on our worthiness. Reminded of what happened in Matthew chapter 15, there was a a woman who comes to Jesus and evidently Jesus is maybe having a meal, he's sitting down and, and she is a Canaanite and so she's a Phoenician is another term for that. Uh, but not, not Jewish, but there again, a little bit of animosity because if you weren't Jewish, Jewish people had animosity towards you. That's just the reality of it. And she comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, my, my daughter is demon-possessed. I need your help, please. And Jesus ignores her, doesn't say anything, no response at all. 
And she, keeps, she just keeps it up and keeps it up. Finally, the disciples come to Jesus and say, would you please send her away? She's bothering everybody. I mean, that's, please just send her away. Obviously, you're ignoring her. You're not saying anything to her. Just send her away. Jesus makes this statement. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. What a statement. Again, there's something going on behind the scenes in this situation. What is Jesus doing? Ignoring her and then saying, yeah, I mean, wouldn't be right. I'm sent to Israel, to the lost sheep of Israel. It wouldn't be right for me to give what belongs to the lost, to the, to the children of Israel, to <clears throat> a dog. That just seems so uncharacteristic of Jesus. And yet... And you know what the woman does? She comes and says, Lord, help me. She doesn't talk about being worthy. She doesn't refute what he says. Lord, help me. Then she says, you're right. It's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And what is she doing? She said, you want to call me a dog? I don't have a problem with it. I need my daughter healed. I need my daughter set free. You can call me anything you want to call me. All I want is a crumb. That's all I want. What she's doing is saying, that's all I need. I don't need need Israel's portion. I just need a crumb. I just need a word. I just need you to do something for my daughter. Man, when we come to God with that type of of posture, we say, God, I I don't deserve anything at all, but God, I just want a crumb. Don't you believe that a crumb from the master's table is better than a truckload of Wonder Bread? I mean, just give me a crumb, God. Just give me a crumb. I think sometimes in our American idea, we want to be big and brass and bold and strong, I think we need to come and just say, God, just a crumb, that's all I need, just a crumb. Just a crumb will do this for me. Just a crumb will minister to my family and set people free. I believe there are people here today that are having difficulty with children, and I'm just saying, maybe let's go to God and just say, God, I just want a crumb. I just want a crumb, set my child free, heal, set free, bless, strengthen, change. Lord, I just, I just want a crumb. And aren't you thankful that we, he does not consider his children dogs. But if we come to him with that attitude of a child to say, God, I I just want a little bit. I believe God responds well to that. I believe he's dismantling this situation where he says, oh, this guy deserves it. Let's talk about the centurion again. And let's talk about the army. I was never in the military. So I, I may not have all this quite right. Bear with me. But let's talk about for a moment, army authority is based on what? It's based on rank. My father was in the Air Force for a time, and he talks about, you know, you always have to, you have to look here, I think here and here or something, you know, the, the, the stripes, the bars. And he said, whenever you're walking around, you just have to pay attention because if you pass somebody who's a higher rank than you and you don't stop and salute, it's trouble. 
You always want to stop, salute, you know. Army rank, army authority, army power is based on rank. But how do you get that rank? You get that rank through training, through education, through testing, and from an order. In other words, somebody up above says, okay, we're going to promote this guy from I don't know, private to sergeant or whatever, sergeant to, it wouldn't be general, would it? It would be like lieutenant or something like that. You just keep working up. So you get an, art, an order from someone up above. And you might get an order from someone up above promoting you in rank, and you've never even met that officer. You don't even know who that guy is or that woman. You, but, it, but they signed the document, this, this person's going from this rank to that rank. And all you're, at, all you're doing is saying, thank God. Now I get, to, I get paid more. Well, that's army power, authority, and rank. But what about God's authority? God's authority comes through God himself. He doesn't delegate that to someone else. He's saying, I'm, I'm the one that promotes you. I'm the one that brings you into authority. I'm the one that puts that authority into you. Now, why, why is all this so important? Let's look again at what the centurion said to Jesus. Actually, he sent his friends to tell Jesus. And he says, um, hey, Jesus, don't bother yourself. Don't, don't come to where I'm at because I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. Um, you see, I also am a man under authority. I myself am a man under authority. I find that's interesting, the double pronoun there, I myself. What he's saying is, Lord, I, I'm a man under authority just like you're under authority. See, this centurion understood that Jesus was under authority, and that's why he could do the things that he was doing. He wasn't doing that on his own authority. He says, I myself am a man under authority, and I have men under me. It's so vitally important for us to know if we're going to walk in the authority and the power that God has given us, that we must understand we are under authority and we are over. We are given authority and we exercise authority. That's why it's so important to get under what God has put over you so that you can be over what God has put under you. It's authority coming down to us and disseminating out through us. This centurion says, I'm a man under authority, and I have men under me. And I say to this one, go over there, and he goes. And I say to this one, come over here, and he comes. And I say to that one, you go over there and do that, and he does it. What is the centurion saying? He's saying, Jesus, I had no expectation that you would come to my house. I just thought you were going to tell one of your disciples, hey, go over there and take care of that business, and it would be done. But now you're coming here? No, no, I, that, that's not needed. That's the faith that amazed Jesus. This guy was just saying, I wasn't expecting you. Now, sometimes we, we like to say that, <clears throat> that the centurion was like, he just wanted Jesus to say, okay, be healed. And his servant would be healed. And that is actually what happened. But I would submit that's not what the centurion was wanting. It's not what he was expecting. Now, Jesus did that many times where someone came to him and they just, he just said, okay, be healed or be set free. Such was the case with a Phoenician woman. But that's not what the centurion was expecting. He was expecting Jesus to send one of his disciples to take care of the business. I think the reason for that is because the centurion had been taken to solve a problem somewhere 
And when he arrived at the problem, he's going like, guys, any one of my hundred men could have handled this by themselves. Why are you bringing me here? Why are you bringing me here when a hundred, all of my guys, and any of them could have taken care of this squabble, this problem, this dispute. But I'm here. I think that's the great faith that this centurion was talking about, that he had, and that Jesus was talking about. We look at that, and so many times we're, we just say it's, it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus. Wait a minute. God has saved you and called you and empowered you and me as ministers of the gospel and we are under his authority and therefore his power and authority flow out of us. And Jesus said, those who believe in my name will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Does it not say that? Jesus says, you are my ambassadors sent out to proclaim the good news. He says, you are my ministers, my preachers. I have given you gifts He says, I'm disseminating my power through you. I'm pouring myself out into you by the Holy Spirit. And you have power that is beyond your even comprehension. And I think Jesus looked at the centurion and says, dude, you are way ahead of all of Israel. You're already into Acts and all the epistles. It's like the centurion always recognizes the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the 120 disciples. And they went out and began to preach and perform miracles. It was amazing. He says, man, you're already there. You already understand this concept. What great faith. I haven't even seen that in Israel. But where do we get that authority? Where do we get that ability to go out and minister God's word and healing and deliverance and seeing people set free? It comes from his presence. Not, 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 simply, by, not simply by reading the book, but, but to say, oh God, as I read this book, would you, would you visit with me and just bring these words off of the page into my heart? God, as we worship and we, we sing and we, you may close your eyes or you may lift your hands, that's, just say, oh God, I just want to be in your presence right now. I just want to be where you are. I want you to just fill me up to overflowing every crevice of my being that I maybe have shut off and held on to myself. Lord, I'm asking you to invade that spot, that hurt, that wound, that bruise, that thing that I'm just awkward about I just I'm just I can't quite get it Lord I'm asking you to come and heal and and bring a deliverance in that area of my life and would just say God would you just bring your presence into me powerfully so that I can go out and minister to people give them your word your grace your patience that I can bear fruit That actually people eat. Isn't that what the reason for fruit? Isn't that the purpose of fruit? God wants us to bear fruit. God wants us to bear fruit of patience and grace and love and joy and peace and self-control. That fruit that people look at us and go, dude, wow, I, I don't understand. Why are you so calm in the middle of all this turmoil? What are they doing? They're taking your fruit and they're just saying, man, I don't get that. And you go, it's because of Jesus. Oh, wow. It's because he's in my life. And I think Jesus was amazed at this. And I think that's what God is desiring for Jackson County is that the people of our community would be amazed at what great ambassadors for Christ that we are. That we go out and we say, you know what, you're sick. Okay, I can't heal you, but Jesus can. And we pray for people and we see them healed. 
because we are under his authority and his authority flows through us. It is not simply because a, a pastor or a, a, an elder or whoever signs off on, on your diploma. Okay, I now promote you too. It's just simply by being in God's presence. We begin to understand, oh, wow, now I see the power that we have. And I want to exercise that power. In his presence, Psalm 16, the first two verses and the last verse, we have it for you up here. David's writing, he says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and apart from you I have no good thing. That's the first two verses. Now the last verse, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy, where? In your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. See, that's where safety, joy, power, peace, that's where it's found. It's in his presence. That's why it's so vitally important when we come together as the body of Christ that we recognize, yes, we are important, but man, he is the game changer. His presence being in the room, his presence is the game changer. Then in 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, we have it up here too. He writes, he says, dear children... Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. He's saying you can set your hearts at rest in his presence. There's a, there's a, there's a thing that when we talk about the presence of God... There's the reality that we are so afraid that he'll find out what we did. I got great news for you. He knows. He knows. We're, we're a little uptight because we're like, I, I know I'm I, like, I got stuff in my life and I've got junk and stuff and junk and stuff. And, uh, but he says, wait a minute. We belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Here's the rest of the verse. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. He already knows. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And he wants us to come into his presence and say, God, warts and everything, here I am. Whatever I have, whatever I am. And God looks at us and says, I don't condemn you. You're in Christ. Yeah, you got some stuff going on. You're in Christ. And Christ is in you. I've placed my spirit in you. I long to have fellowship with you. And I long to, for you to be in my presence so that I can just pour out my authority in you. So that then you begin to understand you have authority over whatever stuff is happening in your life. But our heart is at rest in his presence. Not in turmoil. Not worried. But just an open book to say, God, here I am. Here I am. I got, I got a lot of stuff. I got a lot of weird stuff. Here I am, God. Whatever I am, here I am. And God says, I can use that. I can use that. And God says, I'll pour out my grace and my healing and my forgiveness, and I'm going to work a work through you to minister to your family, to your neighbors, to your friends, to this entire community, because you are the ones I've sent out. You're under my authority, and now you have authority under you. That's God's calling to us today. That's power in his presence.